1: Welcome everyone. Today's show is a summary of my past month of podcasts, focusing on data visualization disasters, data storytelling and the corresponding best practices. Now, why did I choose to spend a whole month on this topic when the podcast is really about accelerating customer equity? How do those topics fit together? Well, one of the things I notice all the time in my everyday work at Ambition Data is how analytical data is received. Now, you might not know this, but only a small percentage of people are born to be analytic thinkers. I used to think it was about six or seven percent, but when I looked up the number, I saw that about three percent of the population are INTP, which is the analytic or logical um, type, personality type on the Myers-Briggs test. So that means the rest of us have learned or perhaps are are trying to learn this way of logical emotion free unbiased thinking so if you if, if you know the majority of your audience is not naturally an analytic thinker, that just lends quite a challenge to the the act of communicating effective data. So if I present a bunch of customer analytic findings to people who are not naturally analytical, what will actually prohibit the adoption of really good customer centric strategies? Now, you might think it's, you know, great color or beautiful visualizations or data that tells a story. Well, all of that is partly true. But the number one thing that actually blocks progress is the emotional connection. If I don't care about the data that I'm looking at, then I cannot care about the people behind that data. So we must always connect to people. and And by that, I mean, not only just connecting to the Audience or connecting to the stakeholders, but helping them connect to our customers and the data that we know about our customers. And that is why I chose to spend a month on data storytelling and data visualization. Now, I began the month with Leah Pika, who is a data storytelling expert and the founder of leapika.com. She is also the host of the Present Beyond Measure podcast. And we talked a lot about getting your message through. Leah shared uh, what she calls the PICA protocol, which covers five fundamental principles for good data communication. Here it is.
0: A lot of us are just going at the data as a sort of shopping cart, and we're dumping every possible thing that we can think of in there running it through the cashier and hoping that as they scan each item, one of these things is going to catch their attention. And there's a lot to that communication piece as well in terms of assessing what your audience actually needs. And there's a whole process behind that um, that I think would really serve anyone to look at their audience from a needs Got perspective it. so th- it's its not coming in with a story it's coming in with a big shopping bag full of random items and just kind of spreading them all over yeah, the table yeah. I always like how Avonash
1: calls that data puke it it's fairly graphic <laughs> and awfully gross but it is actually that in practice too <laughs>
0: And sometimes you need something that striking to be, to really send a message home, you know? Okay. Let's move on to your five steps,
1: you said, or or five methodologies?
0: Yes. So it's, it's five Five questions questions. to take your audience through that provide a lot of what great data storytelling or, or storytelling in general does. So the first thing, the first question is what happened? And you want to relay this in terms of an observation, something that feels impartial and objective. You're not too quick to overlay your judgment and your own assessment on top of it because you want to build trust and credibility. So that's going to be the first thing is stating what you saw that happened. But then our job as analysts for me is really to go deeper and say, why do we think it happened? And this is where the subjectivity and the unique lens of each of our experiences is really important. And you don't have to be right because being right or wrong is also pretty subjective in our field. But at least using our experience to theorize and maybe even engage the audience in a dialogue about, well, this is why we think it happened. What do you guys think? you know, that's what's going to start creating some real wheels turning and some really great conversation during that meeting. Then the next thing you can do as a presenter is start to show even additional value and say, well, what should we do about it? If we had our way, these are the steps that we would take in order to take action on this particular item. And my great friend, Evan LaPointe actually gave me this advice on my podcast where he said, always leave at least two recommendations for people because if you give one and they don't agree with it that's going to create friction and might alienate them a bit but giving them two options that you can discuss empowers them with the idea that they're in the driver's seat with you in making a choice. So this, for me, is one of (laughs) so crucial. They're all crucial, but this one in particular. And it's saying once you've delivered those recommendations and everyone's kind of moving towards agreeing to stuff, I don't want you to walk out of that room without identifying who should do it and by when. So creating accountability around recommendations, I find after working with hundreds of practitioners, is that we often, even if we get to the point of giving recommendations, we'll go, and that's Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Bye. And for me, when I ask my students, guys, if we don't assign the recommendation to someone who is going to take responsibility and everyone shakes their head, no one. And it's the same thing. If we give recommendations like continuing to monitor or making this change and there's no reasonable deadline when's it going to get yeah, done <laughs> it's going to be Sold
1: so that people don't maybe at least with the manager or with someone who has a feeling for oh this person would be good to solve this problem so that people just don't sit there and go oh not me not me it's going to be the person who's not <laughs> at the meeting who didn't
0: see any of the presentation uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Actually, I always recommend collaborating with a manager that or some senior level who's going to be present at that meeting or is sponsoring you for this meeting. Uh, this is something we talked about on uh, your appearance on my show is having that sponsor or advocate for you present at the meeting. And I think working with them in advance to say like, well, what are the best chances? Who's going to be the best person to take this on? Um, Because yeah, we don't want to just look around the room and be like, who's got this one, guys? It's my experience that depending on the kind of recommendation, there's a natural group or person who would naturally be accountable for it. Um, And it would make sense. And of course, if there's a an overriding person in the hierarchy there they can make that final call but at least having the conversation rather than just delivering the recommendations and then leaving it there I think is a crucial step in making these meetings really worth everyone's while
1: I think that's a really good point to underscore and it's one that's often missed
0: yes not anymore (laughs) So there is one more, and I actually, I'm trying to remember where I learned this one, but I thought this was really interesting, which is communicating or trying to articulate in tangible terms, what is the possible cost of not taking Mm -hmm. action? If we did nothing, what's going to (laughs) happen? Is our campaign performance just going to plateau? Are we going to lose ground in performance this way? Are our customers going to keep abandoning our lead generation process at an increased rate? And this one's tougher just because, you know, it could require some projections and things like that. But if you're really good with your numbers, this is a really powerful tool because then they are that's kind of lighting a fire under them to say oh guys we can't let that happen that's a worse trade-off than having enough time to and, do nothing you know,
1: <laughs> this is where the customer angle can come in and be very powerful because if you think about it in terms of frustrating your high-value customers and you know watching them walk away even if you could put it into that context you would end up with um, either a customer customer voice, or B, that you could see the actual use cases and the activity of the customers mm-hmm. changing over time, that would be a very solid way to say not only is there a cost in terms of the channel, you know, the actions that we normally see on the channel, like click-throughs or engagements, but there's a long-term cost in terms of the amount of revenue we build for the business when we um, when we isolate, when we frustrate people who have high statistical propensity to buy from us again,
0: which are our high value mm-hmm. customers. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking was that the data that you help companies work with is really catered well to identifying that Mm -hmm. kind of risk
1: and there's very few of them you know we almost always see that break out into a a rough 80 20 split and it's usually less than 20 percent so if you're identifying your high value customers who are oftentimes your very frequent engagers those folks Mm -hmm. who are frustrated you know even in a, a channel perspective can also be the ones that are not just the first to walk away, but they're that 17% or you know or less. There's a small number of them, mm-hmm. and they're hard to get back.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. That's also a really good point is I think the power and the kinds of data that you're working with, you are also understanding the loyalty factors and the Expense of resources in trying to maintain even really high value customers. So I think that's an amazing lens
1: Then I spoke with alberto cairo a professor at the university of miami Specifically the knight chair of visual journalism and the leader of the visual trumpery tour and if you haven't heard about that tour you haven't checked it out, please do it's a really interesting He's a fantastic speaker Alberto covered several data di- Alberto covered several data visualization disasters but it wasn't all about pretty graphics oh no he cited our responsibility as chief analytics officers as data scientists as analysts to prevent the misinterpretation of our data by using proper scale and taking time to think critically about not only the data that we're looking at, but to think critically about the broader context of how we're communicating to our customers. Um, That is also something I see an awful lot of, that we as analysts sometimes uh, look very closely at one pocket of data and we don't communicate with the rest of the organization to get more of the context to unearth that. So Alberta was a big advocate of conversation. Here is more of our conversation in the summary. Well, let's summarize a little bit about what we've heard. Uh, We talked about why should I care about visual trumpery, you know, this, this visual mischief and, and deception that's going on. And, and we came to the conclusion that there were five great elements that Happen in most powerful charts or most powerful graphics from them being truthful. Beautiful, functional, insightful, and enlightening—those are the five key components that we're really after. But you know, we can marry that with what you said at the end, Alberto, which is the chart isn't just meant to be a stopping point. And I think that's where the last piece, enlightening, becomes so valuable. Is if it is indeed enlightening, shouldn't it prov- provoke a conversation? Shouldn't it cause people to say, "Oh, I didn't know that. What about this?" And and indeed that's what we oftentimes like to hear when people are engaging with our work is they find six different ways that they want to twist it and turn it to explore it and understand it. Uh, it can be a powerful way to, to get hold of the data and the story behind the data.
2: That's a fantastic summary. You should deliver the talk in the future. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I don't think I could do it justice. Not like you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then we talked about the different examples. We talked about uh, the left and the right versions, and the uh, the editorial, uh, sorry, the electoral map. Uh, the Obamacare on the left, and the electoral map on the right. And what you said here that was really good was it. And and I've heard this before from other people that we've interviewed, which is to think critically, to think beyond what the data is telling you, to think beyond the chart. And and especially mm-hmm. here, we talked a lot about pausing set your biases aside Mm -hmm. and really think that the chart is just the chart it's only showing you what it has it's not uh it's not Mm -hmm. designed to tell you all the answers at once unless it's extremely well designed
2: Uh, and there's i'm going to interrupt you in there but because there's another element to that which i forgot to mention but but i make this point in the talk and also in the in my in my third book the one that i'm writing which is that when we think alone we not, we don't reason we rationalize that's a very another very relevant point so when we only talk to ourselves or to people who are like-minded people who already think like us we tend to basically use our reasoning skills to confirm what we already believe it is better and again this is connected to the idea of charts as part of as part of a dialogue enabling process right so don't you don't don't reason about the chart on your own Talk with other people who are not necessarily like-minded about the chart because every every person will see some something, something different in the chart and understanding and good reasoning may arise Through the conversation about the data that is being shown to you and to that other person We don't think well alone We are social creatures and we only can reason well when we don't think on our own or in collaboration with people who already believe what we believe. We reason better when we partner up with people who are not necessarily like us, but who are a little bit different I than we are. I love
1: that. That that is gonna be our closing note today. <laughs> don't don't reason on your own. <laughs> Definitely look for those opposing opinions to come to a proper, unbiased conclusion. <sighs> Next up, I interviewed Felix Schildorfer. Felix is a principal data scientist at First Retail who told me a very interesting international story about a consulting data disaster. Now he wasn't at First Retail when this happened, and that's good because this disaster was so political and so messy that I honestly thought his team was just down for the count. There was no way they were gonna recover. But it turned into a really fabulous lesson in perseverance. Here's the summary of my conversation with Felix. When we talk about why should I care about the seeds of a visual data disaster, what I like that you said in this section is that the idea of the data that came in as storage data uh, was the legacy systems were originally designed to remember that you had certain sets of data, but not to execute them for insights. And today, everyone wants those insights, but the data structure has to be built with that goal in mind. And that has to do with flexibility, with data governance, with speed, with a whole lot of factors that drive analytics and hence, visualization. Uh, So I thought that was a really interesting point. And it can be surprising to people how much work goes into displaying those really valuable insights. So what I thought was really cool in this example was the way that you created fake data to get that management team on board, to really love it, to get them to give you air cover. So you had to really express the vision and and, and also know that that vision was possible. And then you're ready to go, but you run smack into the IT wall, but you don't give up. And so even though IT is not willing to give you a menu of what's available inside the system, system you uh, you don't stop you express a lot of grit and persistence and you know going upstream to the sources of the data and looking for different ways to cleanse it or bring it together it's almost like you really take the company into your heart and work so hard to bring forth what they can do with their own data I thought that was really admirable
2: yeah it was um it was a lot of work, but definitely rewarding when things actually did work. Mm-hmm. And I th- think I just want to come back to it. The thing that really kept us going was the positive feedback from the end user. I'm a huge defender that that's really important. I don't want to say all that matters, but it is really important for when you pursue a project that you know that the product you're putting out is actually worthwhile.
1: Mm-hmm. And that they plan to use it. It's not that you're creating something and casting it into a hole. You're responding to a real desired need and you're not letting the lack of data stop you. You're pushing to get the pieces together so the organization can make great decisions. And finally, I wrapped up with Golrez Khan, a data scientist at Microsoft. And Golrez is really good at pulling through the emotional connection of story. And he even uses fables sometimes to create connection. And I have seen this work occasionally with some of my presentations as well. When I use a certain story or a certain example, people say, oh, I don't wanna be like whatever that example was, and they'll give it a name. It helps people get their heads around what to do and what not to do. So uh, the conversation with Golrez was really good in terms of understanding how to make that connection with the audience. Here's a little bit of our summary. <laughs> Along the course of our conversation, we started with how do you get their attention and using that as the first place and that that key being the first two minutes. If you use jargon, you're you've lost. Uh, and, and that's what proofing in front of your wife or your child or your daughter can help you get to a better communication strategy but then you have to think about what are you going to get the audience to do? Uh, What is it that they, what action do you want them to take? And I think in many cases, in data science, we're sometimes, you know, we're excited to find a nugget of information, but we don't always take it all the way through into, and now what, especially when it comes to the order of operations. Uh, For example, your second story about the poet king, which was Mm -hmm. all about aligning incentives. So okay, I have this nugget of information. And I think there are some actions people should be taking based on it. But what is the second order of operation behind that? Uh, what is the incentive mm-hmm. that's driven behind that metric? And then what's the one behind that? And kind of, you know, unpacking that, that leads to really great conversations, which again, you can queue up with a fable or a simple story to get into mm-hmm. those conversations. But if you started with just the jargon and the metrics, you wouldn't have connected yeah. with people's heart, they wouldn't care. And it's hard to get to that level of engagement.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally. I think you've captured it uh, pretty well.
1: So what should you take away from all these experts? Well, first, newbies data dump. But data experts, like all of us should be, seek to really communicate a sense of accountability as well as the cost of inaction. Further, charts alone are just limited models of reality. We really shouldn't expect them to capture 100% of the complexity of what we might be experiencing in real life. They need context. They need further conversation to become enlightening. So don't reason on your own. Talk to others about what they see in the chart. And that's how we all succeed when we, when we communicate and we pull all that information together. Another lesson was to persevere, just like a drop of water wears away a stone to break down something that's seemingly impossible, the action of trying to stay the course to break down those barriers and tell a complete story to, to try to reward the stakeholders that you serve internally or communicate the customer story, that is where you will find the most impact when you can pull all that together and achieve something that hasn't been possible before. And finally, emotionally connecting to your audience in the same way that Mary Poppins connected to the bank's children before revealing the data and asking them to take action. That is how you actually get people to, one, remember what you said and two sign up for an action at the end of your story. So there you have it for Data visualization experts with four very different perspectives who share how to communicate with your data so you can ultimately create those changes that better serve your customer. It's so much more than pretty charts and graphs. It's really the deep connection with the audience. It's the ability to make that ask because you have connected with the audience and helping them see how to serve the broader picture. Now, if you wanna talk more about this subject or perhaps you need a little help to sort out your own data disaster, you can reach out to me at Allison at Ambition Data or at Ahartso on Twitter or Alison Hartso, and that's H-A-R-T-S-O-E on LinkedIn. Now, we've just released a quick digital dashboard service to help reduce data disasters and improve your customer centricity. So uh, feel free to reach out if you're interested in that. As always, I include links to everything that we discussed, including the four prior podcasts at ambitiondata.com/podcast. And I'll also include a direct link in our show notes to the quick customer-centric dashboards that I just mentioned. Thank you for joining me today. Remember, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It's not magic, it's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is your host, Allison Hartzell, and I have two gifts for you. First, I've written a guide for the customer-centric CMO, which contains some of the best ideas from this podcast, and you can receive it right now. Simply text AMBITION DATA to 31996. And after you get that white paper, you'll have the option for the second gift, which is to receive the signal. Once a month, I put together a list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are making amazing progress as they build customer equity. I hope you enjoy the CMO guide and the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.